Yes, sir, and welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 7 of the Good Look Podcast. I'm your host, Leonard Pinkney, a.k.a. Agent P, a.k.a. L. Pinkney, here to give you another episode this week. Appreciate you guys out there listening. Follow me on my social media accounts, Instagram and Twitter, at L. Pinkney, L-P-I-N-K-N-E-E. I'll put the links out for the uh, for the podcast. You can go ahead and keep on listening. Uh Obviously, NBA still in high edge, but we're still going here. So I want to go ahead and just get into some news around the league so far, the little news that we do have, and then go ahead and, and go on with the rest of the show. Um, so I'll go ahead and, and let you guys know what's going on with the league right now. Not too much, obviously, but there's a little bit of news. Um, Woj has been tweeting it. A lot of uh, NBA media, media members have been tweeting it. Uh, there's going to be a horse competition that happens soon amongst current NBA players like Zach Levine, Chris Paul, um, Trey Young, they're guys who are going to go ahead and do it virtually, going to be on courts and obviously their own premises, premises, and um, they're just going to be doing a horse competition. There's going to be some WNBA players and some not too uh, retired NBA players, some guys who've been in the league most recent and, and retired recently, so um, it's something. I mean, we're, we're craving sports, so anything that comes up pretty much is, is going to do numbers. I mean, the 2K tournament ended up doing something. So as long as there's something involving our favorite athletes doing something, they I mean, they they did the horse competition. Uh, they tried to they tried to do it a couple years in a row in 09 and 010, and uh, Kevin Durant ended up winning both of those competitions in his uh, second and third year, respectively. But, I mean, we'll see. That horse competition for the All-Star game really wasn't that all that exciting. Um, it was done before even the All-Star festivities even started. But if we have this and it's all we pretty much have, I think a lot of people are going to be interested in it. Um, they're going to be glued to the TVs, smartphones, uh, including myself. I'm going to be looking forward just to just to get some, uh, just get some NBA basketball in our lives, man. It's been tough uh, going day by day into this thing and. Um, pretty much staying inside for the majority of the time, pretty much going outside to walk or, or get something to eat, grab some groceries. That's pretty much it. So, um, any semblance of NBA basketball, even if it's some weird horse competition is going to be, it's, it's at least something. So uh, we can kind of look forward to that. And as I'm recording this now, it was news throughout the day that the, that the bulls were looking to, to get a new a uh, person to run their their basketball operations and uh, Nuggets assistant GM our Arturis Car Carnesovas uh, was heavily in the running and now he's officially been hired. Um, he is the new president of basketball operations for the Bulls. He's going to be seen as a guy to help them reshape the front office as well as pre- player personnel. And the Nuggets have had a good track record in terms of how they develop their players. Um, they've drafted really well. Um, Nuggets have a really good draft history. Um, if you look back at the players they selected, they've gone on to become really solid role players and all-stars like Jokic, Nurkic, Jamal Murray, things, uh, players like that. So Arturis definitely plays a role in that. Um, and good luck to him. Um, I know Tim Connolly, he's the current basketball uh, president of basketball operations for the for the Nuggets, he almost got pried away by the by the Wizards um, last summer, but he decided to stay with Denver. So 
Hopefully the league doesn't take all of our front office guys away. So good luck to our tourists. Hopefully he does well in, in Chicago. And last but not least, um, according to Adam Silver, a couple of days ago, he said that um, there's no way to know if the NBA can even start um, at a minimum by May 1st. There's just so much uncertainty going around with the, the whole COVID-19 situation. And I mean, there's other sports like baseball who have said they've tried to make plans and lock down one location. Like baseball is trying to just have all their games and players in Arizona and try to keep things as confined as possible and controlled as possible. The NBA's there have been some proposals like that, like maybe Vegas or something like that. So, I mean, all possibilities are getting thrown out there. Obviously, it's because they want to salvage some money uh, because a lot of money is going to be lost here. So, um, But if, if there's anything that could happen, um, that would be amazing. Uh, it, it's not looking like it right now. I mean, just based on all the numbers you see on the news and online. But if for some amazing reason more tests are out there, if it's possible to keep everyone quarantined in a safe space and have competition still occur, then I mean, we can still all dream. I mean, we got we got to have hope in something. So I mean, if that happened, uh, obviously that would that would turn a lot of frowns into smiles. So. Um, We'll see. We're all realistic, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. All right. So now I'm going to get into my first topic here. Um, and this was kind of... This idea was birthed from a, a recent post on Twitter, and then I started to see a couple other player comparisons as well, and I wanted to go ahead and debate and discuss those a little bit. Um, the first one that ended up coming to my attention was when uh, I believe it was at the Hoop Central. They posted, a, or they tweeted, it was a picture of Trace McGrady and Derrick Rose. And the tweet was, um, if no injuries occurred, whose career would you rather have? So essentially it's a pick em. Which player would you rather have, Derrick Rose or Trace McGrady? If we look at so we'll go ahead and break down the players a little bit, and then I'll let you know who I'd be picking. So you have Tracy McGrady, um, got drafted in 98 by the Raptors, um, straight out of high school, and it was a situation where the high school kids were just starting to get into the NBA, get their feet wet. You had KG in 95, Kobe in 96, um, and then T-Mac coming in in 98. Um, really highly touted guy, six uh, six eight, really skinny but super athletic. Could do a lot of different things, both sides of the ball. Um, and when he started in Toronto, um, there were there were flashes for sure. But as soon as Vince Carter hit Toronto, then it was a wrap. Everyone knew it was Vince Carter's team, and Trace McGrady possibly looked like that guy who could be the the sidekick to Vince, but he internally just had more aspirations than that. So. There's a little bit of internal strife there, and eventually, uh, in 2000, before that season started, Trace McGrady got traded to the Magic for a first-round pick that ended up rolling over until 2005, which is pretty crazy. But from 2000 to 2004, that's pretty much Trace McGrady's peak. Um, those are all the Orlando years. He averaged 28 points a night for Orlando. He peaked at 
32 a night in 2004. Um, All-around great scorer, um, pull-up jumpers, crossovers, um, mid-post game, three-point game. T-Mac could pretty much do anything he wanted on the offensive end, um, and he was six foot eight. He was also a good defender, and he was a good passer as well. He averaged five and a half assists a night during those peak Orlando years. Um, all around, just a great player in, in every facet of the game, pretty much. Injuries cut his career short. He had three solid seasons in, in Houston. The last good season he had in Houston was about 08 when he averaged 21 a night. And then um, the knee injuries, the back problems just started catching up with him. And then he eventually got traded to New York, signed a free agent deal with San Antonio as his last as his last stop in the NBA. But he had a good six, seven year run in there. And in the NBA, um, if you're one of those iconic players and you have one of those kind of runs, essentially that's enough to get you in the Hall of Fame. So that's why he's a Hall of Famer. Um, so yeah, that's that's Trace McGrady in a nutshell, pretty much. A great all-around player who had about six or seven really good seasons in him. And then, unfortunately, those injuries just cut it short. And of course, speaking of the ultimate career getting cut short by injuries, we have Derrick Rose, the youngest MVP in NBA history in 2011, had multiple knee injuries, torn meniscus, the famous torn ACL in 2012. I have a video on it, actually, if you want to check it out. It's in my IG stories on my Instagram. Go ahead and check that out. Um, his first three seasons in Chicago, he averaged 22 a night. His MVP year, he averaged 25 and 7. Um, in my opinion, the most electric point guard in NBA history. I think Russell Westbrook is the most athletic point guard we've ever seen. Um, and probably the most um, athletic in terms of just brute strength and force and speed all in a six foot three body. Derrick Rose is the most electric and explosive point guard we've probably ever seen. 6'2", can get to point eight get from point A to point B quicker than than anyone you'd probably ever see. Um and unfortunately his his quick t- his quick twitch and his his fast movement was something that ultimately helped him be as great as he could be but uh, ended up helping in his downfall because his body and his joints just couldn't handle that kind of torque. Um and that lended itself to him getting injured multiple times, but those first 3 seasons um, were absolutely incredible to watch. It was nice to see the Chicago Bulls have a little bit of a mini revival there, a uh, mini rivalry with the Heat during those early 2010s. Um, it's a shame. Uh, it's a shame to know that the youngest MVP in NBA history probably won't make the Hall of Fame. Um, it's a shame thinking what kind of career he could have had. Um, the game was moving in a certain direction, but still a guy who was that athletic who could get to the basket finish and still uh, find his teammates and and make plays in that regard it was it was unfortunate to see that he couldn't get or we didn't get a chance to see his his peak extended a little bit longer now he's still playing he's gotten himself back into a really good place um so hopefully he can play some more seasons and become a contributor on a good team um but once again yeah those those peak years were taken away prematurely So, 
the reason this got me kind of riled up was because on Twitter, you can see like the top comments and it's all in favor of Derrick Rose. Everyone's saying he was the youngest MVP that proves that he was, he got an MVP and T-Mac doesn't, that automatically proves that he was better. That's the guy I'm taking. Um, I, all the comments and all these likes saying that they'd pick Derrick Rose over Tracy McGrady. Um, and I know we're dealing with a lot of recency bias and Twitter does have more younger people on it than, than older people. But this question isn't even close. It's, it's, it's Tracy McGrady. It's T-Mac. It's number one for the magic and the rockets, a walking bucket. No question. If you think about Tracy McGrady in those early Orlando years, he was supposed to be playing with Grant Hill. Grant Hill, another big what-if question guy. He had botched ankle surgery, um, messed up ankles to begin with, and he never got a chance to get on his feet in Orlando. And the Magic almost got Tim Duncan when he became a free agent. Um, If you go online, search the stories for it, they got pretty close, actually. It was pretty, and it would have been pretty insane to see if T-Mac would have had Tim Duncan with him the entire course of his career would have been totally changed. But if you compare the two, you have one who's 6'8", and the other is 6'2". You have a point guard who doesn't really play defense and doesn't really shoot that well. Even if you look at Derrick Rose's MVP season, he shot about 32% from three. So the NBA was moving in a direction where shooting was going to be something that was... That was of the utmost importance. And even if you look at uh, Trace McGrady, you can try to pick apart some of his numbers as well and see early 2000s. We're talking about like a 34% three-point shooter. But you got to you gotta extrapolate that from now till then. It was a different game back then. Um, we don't have the knowledge back then that we do now. Um, a lot of guys are taking a lot of long twos, uh, a lot of bad mid-range shots. A lot of those shots that Trace McGrady was taking back then would just get extended to the three-point line. That efficiency would tick up, so with that true shooting percentage. Um, McGrady is a better defender, hands down. Um, and the passing's about equal. McGrady in his peak, he even had years in Houston where he averaged almost seven a night. Um, and Derrick Rose averaged about seven assists, six assists a night as well. So I don't know why this is even a debate. The answer is Tracy McGrady. All love to Derrick Rose. We really wish we could have saw how your career panned out if you didn't get hurt. Same with T-Mac as well. That's why this question is being broached. But all the people online, all the people in the barbershops, not the barbershops now because they're closed, but anybody trying to debate this, please stop. It's Tracy McGrady. All right, the number two player comparison that I have here is Kyrie Irving versus Allen Iverson. Now, this one's pretty crazy. It's pretty close. You got Kyrie, who averaged 22 a night for his career, has one of the biggest shots in NBA history that game seven step back or sidestep three fadeaway over Steph that ended up being the game winner in those finals. Um, in my opinion, no question, the best ball handler and best at the rim finisher in the game not in terms of like dunking the ball but obviously people who watch the game of basketball 
you can see this the variety of finishes Kyrie has. He's ambidextrous. He can finish either way with both hands. He plays the ball off the glass so well. Um, there's no one in the league who's finished like him. And the ball handling is next level. Now you can talk about guys from the past, like uh, people who weren't necessarily like in the NBA, um, guys like God, Sham God, or Kenny Anderson, um, Stephon Marbury, uh, Jamal Crawford, Steph for a little run there. There's a lot of guys, Rod Strickland, a lot of guys who have a really good handle in this league, Tim Hardaway. Um, but it's Kyrie, no question. The amount of moves, the imagination, the stuff he tries, the stuff he pulls off. Um, throughout the history of this game, no one's ever had a handle like him. So, Kyrie, the best under-the-rim finisher in the league and the best ball handler of all time. Um, there have been some critiques about his leadership and his on-court play. Does sometimes show a propensity to uh, lean towards selfishness and that doesn't really help his teams in terms of winning um it was most highlighted in boston when it looked like they were going to be a pretty good team they had other issues as well but Kyrie, the way he led that team obviously didn't help um so those are some of the critiques on Kyrie irving doesn't really play defense um not the best passer but as a as an offensive weapon from the point guard position he's one of the best to ever do it no question and then you have Allen Mother Effin Iverson. One of the cultural goats of this game, number three. Um, the 2001 NBA MVP. Um, introduced the hip hop era of the NBA cornrows, arm sleeves, tats, armbands, you name it. The boy was wearing it. The boy had sauce, swag, everything in between. Um, if you look at just cultural icons in the NBA's history, he's definitely in the top 10. There's guys like Braun, Kobe, Jordan, um, Bird and Magic. In terms of cultural impact, Allen Iverson's in the top 10, no question. His on-court play, he was just a dog. He averaged like 42 minutes a night, career average of 27 points a game. Um, didn't really play defense either, but was a real good uh, was a real good ball hawk. Got a lot of steals, um, and did all this while being quote unquote six feet and a buck 65. Um, that 0-1 Finals run is iconic. Um, the East wasn't that great. That Bucks team was pretty good, but other than that. Um, the East really wasn't that good, and his game one against the Lakers in 01 is iconic, 48 points, including the step over of Tyron Lue that everybody knows about. Um, he just played with so much passion and heart. Unfortunately, his career didn't end in the best way. He kind of got pushed out of the league once he um, his ego got a little bit big. He told everybody he didn't want to come off the bench and wasn't really willing to accept a lesser role, so he exited the game a little bit earlier than people wanted to but um no question about the impact that he had on the league um number one overall pick in 96 all the way up through his uh his peak seasons Allen Iverson was an amazing player to to watch and 
there's no question of the kind of stamp that he put in this game. But then you got to pick. So if I have to pick between Allen Iverson and Kyrie Irving, I I think this might be my most controversial one. I'm actually go with Kyrie Irving on this. So if you swapped Kyrie Irving for Allen Iverson on that 2001 team, I pretty much think you you'll probably have about the same effect. Um so in in terms of what we're looking at player to player, we kind of just got to break down their games. Um, neither of them play really good defense at all. Kyrie's a little bit bigger than AI. He's like 6'2". Um, in terms of shooting, Kyrie's the better three-point shooter. Field goal percentage-wise, they're about a wash. Um, AI gets to the line a little bit more. Ball handling is close, but I'm picking Kyrie. Finishing is close, but I'm still picking Kyrie. Um... Cultural impact isn't something that's going to be uh, put into the equation when we're talking about just on-court player comparisons. So if we're talking just strictly on the basketball court and the guy who I would pick in this comparison, it's tough because I love Allen Iverson. That's my guy. Um, He's one of the reasons why I wear three um, when I play in basketball leagues. He's one of the guys, along with Melo, his reason why I had braids when I was growing up. But if I'm picking one player to go with out of these two, sorry to say it, but I'm going to say Kyrie Irving. And now number three. My third player comparison here is something that has been talked about quietly. And it's starting to become accepted and I don't want this to be a thing. I feel like it shouldn't be a thing, and it's a situation where the numbers do kind of lie, and I want to go ahead and speak on it. So the last comparison here is Dwayne Wade versus James Harden. Now, when Dwayne Wade was coming up, um, and it was not coming up, actually, but when his career was starting to round into form, he was being considered as the third best shooting guard all time. It was obviously Jordan, then Kobe, and then would go Dwayne Wade. There were some people fighting over Clyde Drexler, but... Obviously, Dwayne Wade. And then James Harden came around, started doing what he was doing, and props to James, what he's been doing, what he currently still does and continues to do. Outstanding. But there's a lot of people, especially who are newer fans to the league now, who are automatically putting James Harden in front of Dwayne Wade because they only saw Dwayne's last few seasons in the league. But let me go ahead and break this down and let you young people know what's really going on with D-Wade versus James Harden. Dwayne Wade came in the league in 03, same year as LeBron and Melo. Three-time NBA champ, the 2006 Finals MVP. He has a career average of 22 points a night, peaked in 09 by averaging 30 a night. Is definitely the best shot-blocking two-guard of all time. Just check his highlights, go on YouTube and search up some Dwayne Wade blocks. They're incredible. And he played even bigger than his 6'4 height showed. And he just showed up when it mattered the most. That 06 Finals finals run is legendary. Um, It's one of my favorite experiences as a basketball fan, watching the Heat go down 0-2 and then almost going down or about to go down 0-2. And... Dwayne Wade ended up 
just having an out-of-body experience, dropped 42 points in that game to pull the Heat back into the series. Um, and they ended up winning four straight. And so they were down 0-2. They were down 0-2 and ended up winning four straight and winning in six in Dallas. And Dwayne Wade was incredible. He got to the line 20-plus times in multiple games during that series. That team had a, towards the end of the line, Shaq. He was, Shaq was still averaging 20 and 10. But Dwayne Wade was clearly the alpha dog on that team, and he showed why his nickname was Flash. He showed why he was one of the preeminent guards in the league. He showed up when you needed it most. And even towards the later years of his career, and those two other Miami Heat championships with LeBron, he wasn't totally healthy. But um, when you needed him most, he would still show up with a good 30-point game. He would show up against the Indianas of the world, the the Chicago Bulls games. He would show up in those experience in those in those playoff experiences. So he was a guy you could count on when when the chips were down for sure. Um, that was that was D Wade, no question. And then you have James Harden, who's an an absolute scoring machine, no question about it. Um, he's pretty much epitomized. Um, the way the game is played today, career 25 point per game scorer. He averaged 36 a night last year, 32, two years before, uh, 30, two years before that, and then has averaged 32 in this current season. He's manipulated the NBA game like no other player has in the history of the sport. Um, the way he barrels into people, uses his arms to, to draw contact has, has drawn a lot of ire from fans um including me in terms of how he plays but he plays the system so as long as it keeps working as long as the officials are going to keep giving him those calls he's going to keep doing it and it might be annoying to watch but in the end it's smart it's getting him points it's getting his team points it's putting them in the best position to win um and he has an unstoppable move his step back three has been uh, a thing of beauty when it's done right um, it's one of the best shots the game has ever seen. So, offensively, he can pretty much do no wrong. He's a great passer too. People don't give him enough credit for that. Even when he led the league in assists two years ago, James Harden's an amazing passer. When everyone really liked him in OKC, everyone wanted him to have the ball in his hands instead of Russell Westbrook in terms of playmaking. So, um, yeah, James Harden should. I feel like it's it's tough. I go back and forth with James Harden in my mind. I sometimes wonder why he gets so much hate, and then I realize why, and then I just swing back on the other side of the fence. Um, it's tough. He used to be someone you really wanted to watch uh, when he didn't go foul hunting and things like that. Now that he does, um, it's kind of tough to watch him play, but you can't argue with the results. The dude gets the job done, and... Um, that's that's pretty much all you can say about that. But there's definitely a lot of rhetoric, and if you probably pose this question, people would most likely pick James Harden. And I'm sorry, there's no way I'm picking James Harden over Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade was not nearly the shooter that James Harden was, but he was definitely a, a better defender. And in terms of a crunch time player, a guy I knew I could count on when the chips were down, when we needed a bucket or when we needed a guy to show up for a big game, 
it's no question the pick's going to be Dwayne Wade. If you want a guy who's going to get you those regular season dubs, who's going to pit up those big stats um, in games that don't matter too much, then, then James Harden's your guy. But Dwayne Wade could have just had the 06 finals alone, and I probably would have picked him. Um, when you have that kind of guy who shows that kind of leadership and is ready to to do anything to, to lead his team to victory, uh, I don't care about what the stats are at that point. Um, this is a situation where the numbers don't tell the whole story. Um, you got to take Dwayne Wade in this situation. I mean, there's there's been plenty of playoff flameouts from James Harden as they've been chronicled over the years, most notably in 2017 when they were up or they were down 3-2. They had a game in Houston. Kawhi Leonard wasn't playing. And they needed this game, obviously, to force a game seven. In that game, James Harden went two for nine. Or excuse me, two for 11. Had 10 points and was a minus 28 on the court. The Spurs won that game by 39. An elimination game at home with Kawhi Leonard missing. And they lost by 39. It's something that doesn't make any sense. It deserves some sort of explanation, but it doesn't have one. Um, And James has had plenty of moments like that. If you think about the big Houston comeback in 2015, when they played against the Clippers, he was on the he was on the bench for the entire fourth quarter and comeback of that situation. So it's it's it's. It's a situation where you can try to compare the players just based on the numbers. And if you want to do that, you're probably going to pick James Harden. But if you want a guy who's also going to put up great numbers and also show up for you in the big moments when it matters the most, you're going to take the you're going to take the correct choice and obviously you're going to side with me and select Dwayne Wade. D-Wade, much respect to you three. All right, let's go ahead and get into this next topic here. I did a breakdown of the 2015 draft last week. I'm going to do another breakdown this week. This time I'm going to do the 2014 draft. Not as extensive, and I'm going to do a mini redraft of it as well. But I just want to run down some of these players and kind of just see where things have gone. As evidenced by last week, you can just see the type of players that are in the league now type of players that aren't in the league now um this nba draft stuff isn't an exact science there's no rhyme or reason for it we think we have a good indication when these guys come out of college or overseas what they might be and then for some reason you have some guy who slips to the second round and ends up being an all-star which actually happened in this draft which i'll go ahead and detail in a second but let's go ahead and break down the picks first so the first overall pick was made by the Cleveland Cavaliers, and this was that time where they had won like three picks and three number one overall picks in four seasons and found a way to mess up most of them. Um, But they picked Andrew Wiggins. Um, And this is the year that LeBron came back to Cleveland. They had Kyrie Irving already. They wanted to get another solidified player for LeBron. So they took Wiggins and traded him to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Kevin Love. Um, Andrew Wiggins... Started out his career pretty strong, averaged 20 points a night as a rookie, one rookie of the year. Um, granted, the rookie class he was in was weak, but he still averaged 20. He was a solid player for a rookie, and P- 
people could see the potential with him. The athleticism was there, um, the ability to score, had a solid jump shot, looked like he could be a good defender, and that's how his uh, that's how his career started. But as time went on, um, stories came, uh, started to come out that he wasn't the type of alpha dog that you'd want to have in terms of a guy that leads a team. Um, situations where it looked like he was soft, situations where it didn't look like he knew what he was doing, um, and ultimately it led to sporadic play. There'd be nights where he'd score 25, and the next night he'd score 7. And if you're taking a guy number one overall, you're picking him to be the face of your franchise, not a guy who comes with that type of inconsistency. So um, eventually, after those five seasons, Minnesota finally took the plunge and traded him this year to, to Golden State. And um, it actually looks like he'll have a brighter future in Golden State just because he doesn't have those expectations of being the number one overall pick anymore. He can just be a guy who sinks to the background, maybe is their third or fourth best scorer. And hopefully he has a, a career renaissance. I mean, I'm pulling for him. We ripped him in Minnesota. Everyone in the world who loves basketball ripped him in Minnesota just because he wasn't consistent enough. But um, it's a land of second chances, and hopefully he can move into this new situation in San Francisco and, and find a way to reshape his career and turn himself into a solid player. So that's Andrew Wiggins. He was the number one pick in that 2014 draft. Number two was Jabari Parker out of Duke. He went to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks the next year ended up drafting Giannis. Or the year before, uh, the Bucks drafted Giannis 15th overall. He wasn't even close to what he would become eventually. But Jabari Parker was supposed to be that guy who right away averaged 20 points a night, was going to be a consistent scorer for you and, and just be able to get you buckets no matter what. Player comparisons were to Carmelo uh, for some old-time fans, Glenn Robinson, early 2000s. Um, Unfortunately for Jabari, his situation was pretty much due to injuries. He's torn his ACL, I believe, twice um, the same one. And just to imagine doing that type of damage to one knee is incredible. But he still found a way to stick around in this league. He's rehabbed really hard. He's bounced around a couple franchises. He's done okay for himself. But his shortcomings defensively are really starting to get highlighted now. And it doesn't really... Um, Hope that he can score a little bit. It's it's starting to get to the point where we don't know if he's going to still stick around in the league anymore once that contract expires. So unfortunate, but that's that's the way things roll sometimes. The third overall pick went to Philadelphia, and they selected Joel Embiid. Now, Joel Embiid was in talks to be the number one overall pick in this draft, and before this draft, that's who I thought was going to be number one. He was a person I believe to be the most talented in this draft coming in. You just saw the moves at, out of Kansas and what he was doing at seven feet and the type of, he had nimble feet, he was quick, um, could make really good plays in the post. That was the guy who could definitely bring the big man back in the league. Um, his first two years, he just didn't play. They are pretty much redshirt years. And then his third season, he only played 31 games. Um, but as he finally was able to to get caught up and have his body mature to the point where he could play 30 minutes a night and play more than 31 games in a season. 
He still has those injury concerns, but everyone knows when he plays, he's probably the best center in the league. The only one who could challenge him is Jokic at this point. Um, so, I mean, Philly hit with this one, no question about it. Even with the injury concerns that you still have with Embiid, to have a guy who's potentially the best center in the in basketball, couldn't ask for more from the third pick. Number four, we have Aaron Gordon. He went to Arizona. And he got drafted by the Magic, still is with the Magic. Has kind of just been stuck in a rut. Uh, Everyone knows how athletic he is. He's been robbed of pretty much two slam dunk titles. But in the NBA, he's an okay shooter, um, okay finisher. He's pretty much a lot of okay. Um, He's not a bad player. It's just he doesn't really excel in any one area other than athleticism. He's like a poor man's Tobias Harris. You kind of wish that you would see more. Um, I think the best thing for Aaron would be to just get out of Orlando and get into a situation where he could be um, a guy that just plays in transition, um, shoots a couple of threes a night, and um, turns himself into a lockdown defender type. And if he could end up doing that, I feel like he's just going to unlock another another portion of his game and end up fulfilling most of that potential that that fourth pick was looking for. Number five, the Utah Jazz selected Dante Exum out of Australia. Uh, Now, when I saw highlights of Dante Exum around this time, I thought he was going to be really good. Uh, 6'6 point guard, um, looked like he could shoot, defend, pass. Uh, Injuries have cut his career down short as well. Um, Tore his ACL a couple years back, and he's been trying to bounce back ever since Utah Hasn't tried to give up on him, but it, it looks like it's just not going to work out. Um, so we'll see once his contract expires what happens. But uh, even when he has played, uh, he's looked slight. He hasn't looked like a guy who's played with much confidence. Flashes, but far and few in between. So that's Dante Exum, number five. Number six, the Boston Celtics selected Marcus Smart out of Oklahoma State. Uh, he was a sophomore, stayed two years at Oklahoma State. He was the man, uh, got triple doubles, uh, was a really good basketball player for the Cowboys. Um, unfortunate, actually not unfortunately, he went to Boston and for the number six overall pick, honestly, they've gotten really good value out of him. He's someone that Boston fans would deem indispensable, even though the stats don't really back up the kind of value that he has. He's the ultimate glue guy. He's a pest on defense, flops too much, but, I mean, who doesn't um, not take that back? He definitely flops too much. He's probably the biggest flopper in the league. He was next to Lance once uh, Lance got out the league. But he actually does play really good defense. He competes hard on both levels. He probably shouldn't shoot as many threes as he does, but he does. Um, but he does everything for that Boston team in terms of the the little things so if you get that out of your six overall pick then i mean you can't really ask for more so he's been a good pick there number seven the lakers selected julius randall out of kentucky julius is a pretty much he's a left-handed forward he's like a more athletic zach randolph um a guy who's like a bull in a china shop puts his head down spin moves in the lane tries to use his athleticism to finish and he's developed a little bit of a jump shot, too, over time. So he's turned himself into a solid player. He's gotten some good contracts from teams. He got traded to um, 
traded to New Orleans and then he moved on and and went to uh went to New York as a free agent. Um so he's been a solid player, you can't really complain about him too much. He could probably be a good player on a solid winning team. Um he's been a good player. No no problems with this pick. Number eight, the Sacramento Kings selected Nick Stauskas out of out of Michigan, aka Sauce Castillo, six um, seven Canadian dude who could really shoot the basketball. Uh, he was on those Michigan teams with Trey Burke and Tim Hardaway Jr. that were really exciting uh, mid two thousands, mid twenty tens. Excuse me. Uh, career just hasn't worked out for him. He's always been able to shoot. He just hasn't been able to stay on the court because he can't play any defense. He's bounced around the league multiple times, and I believe it was last year, his last year in the league before um, he started playing overseas. So he hasn't been in the league this year. Um, I'd like to see him back. I mean, you got a nickname like Sauce Castillo. That's a, that's a dope-ass nickname. Um, but uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like he's going to be coming back to the league anytime soon. Number nine, the... Uh, the Hornets selected Noah Vonley out of Indiana. Um, big 6'9", 6'10", forward. Um, he's a big dude. He's probably like 260. Um, but he has a decent jump shot, and he's versatile. The The Nuggets most recently traded for him. Um, he's got quicker feet than you'd think. Um, and he can stick around in this league as a backup big for sure. He's a guy who shows some versatility at the 4 and 5 spot in today's NBA. So he could definitely stick around. He's not the guy who's going to be um, the second or third leading scorer on a team. Um, he's not the guy who's going to anchor a defense or a guy you can play 20 minutes a night and get consistent buckets from. But he's a guy who can come in, play that backup 4-5 for your team, uh, not bog down the offense, not be a total negative on defense, and just be a solid guy. So. Noah Vonley still has a chance to be a solid player in this league for sure. Number 10, um, the Sixers selected Alfred Payton and later traded him to the Magic. Alfred Payton was known for having wild, ridiculous hair like the weekend, but he could play. Um, he's a good passer, good rebounder. The only thing he couldn't do is shoot. He still can't shoot. He's still in the league because he does everything else so well, um, but he's just going to be a role player pretty much for the rest of his career as long as he's in the NBA. Number 11, the Denver Nuggets selected Doug McDermott um, and ended up trading him to Chicago. Uh, McDermott's still in the league because he can do one thing really well. He can shoot. Um, he's got good size as well at 6'8". Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, <laughs> he can't really do much else. He's not a real good defender. Doesn't pass, doesn't uh, penetrate a defense, doesn't create um, but if you can shoot, you can stick around in this league for sure. You got guys like Joe Harris and Duncan Robinson who are just specialists because you need those guys on the court who can space the floor. And Doug McDermott's definitely one of them. So he's going to stick in this league because of that. Number 12, you have Dario Saric, who was picked by the Magic and then traded to Philadelphia. Dario's another one of those 6'9 combo forwards from Europe. Uh, good shooter, um, passes the ball really well. Um, I'd like to see him as a as a backup big on a team. Maybe a guy off your bench. He could definitely be a type of winning player for 
for a team. If you had Dario Sarge coming off your bench, a guy who could facilitate, hit open jump shots, uh, still finish at the rim, um, that's a solid guy that you want on your team, especially a team that's trying to win a championship. So if he's coming off your bench, you're in pretty good shape. 13th overall pick went to Minnesota, and they selected Zach Levine. Before this draft, I really wanted the Nuggets to select Zach Levine. They just didn't, obviously. Um, and he's turned himself into a really good player. Um, people argue that he's inefficient, and he doesn't really help his teammates out. But 25 games, still 25 a game. Um, a really good scorer in this league. Incredibly athletic. Tore his ACL, but is still incredibly athletic. Two-time slam dunk champion. Probably should only be one, but he won it twice. Um, I called that as soon as he entered the league, knew he was going to be one of those guys who entered the, the dunk contest and shut it down. Um, but he's worked on his all around game. He just has to work on passing now and defending. He can score from anywhere on the court. He can finish well at the rim. Um, he's not that big, so he's not really finishing through contact, but he still gets to the basket because of his athleticism has a great handle. Um, He's just got to work on those other parts of his game and maybe get out of Chicago. Um, he's kind of a guy that he's kind of like a Jamal Crawford, Monte Ellis type. Um, I think ultimately his best role would be to come off the bench and be that kind of six man to get you 14 to 16 a night. Um, I feel like that's his best role for a team. But he's he's kind of a guy who's just in the middle. He's not a superstar, but he's not a role player he's good um so there's going to be some franchises who see him and want to start him because he's a he's a good scorer and you you need that in this league but in order for a team to optimize his potential you probably want to have him come off the bench and be that six-man type of guy and the team that ends up harnessing that potential with him is going to bring the best out of him and the last pick in the lottery went to the Phoenix Suns, and they selected T.J. Warren. T.J. Warren, one of the most underrated players in this league, has averaged 20 points a se- uh, points per game in a season before, uh, was in Phoenix for the first five years of his career and then got traded over to Indiana, went to Indiana, still a, a solid scorer, finally extended his range to three a couple years ago, so he wasn't taking a bunch of mid-range jumpers. His game is weird. Um, he's 6'9", doesn't really have a good handle, um, when he played at NC State, he he didn't look like a guy who could really create shots, but he would get them off awkwardly, and they would go in a lot of the time. So um, TJ Warren is going to be a, a good scorer in this league for a long time, uh, but that's pretty much all you're getting out of him. So him, he's Zach Levine is better. He's but uh, much like Zach, if you have him coming off the bench in a six man, seventh man, eighth man role and getting you some some scoring punch off the bench, that's going to be the, the role that optimizes him the most. And now we're going to just do a couple quick shout-outs to the other guys in this class uh, who got picked later. 15th, one pick outside the lottery was Yusuf Nurkic by um, Chicago, but that's the guy who ended up getting traded to the Nuggets. He played really well for us his first couple of years. Bosnian bruiser, really good classic back to the basket type of center ended up getting traded to portland for mason plumley um did really well in his first couple stints in portland um, he's a solid big man doesn't really play defense but he's big so carves out a lot of space on both offense and defense unfortunately had a really horrific injury to his leg he was supposed to come back 
right around the time the NBA went on hiatus. So hopefully when everything gets back running again, he's going to be able to get going, get his legs underneath him, and get back to playing some good basketball. The 27th overall pick was the Houston Rockets, and they selected Clint Capella in this spot. Uh, Capella was the center who would just catch lobs, roll to the basket, and dunk. But he'd also uh, play good defense for the Houston Rockets squad, and he played well for that team when they were going up against the Warriors all those years. Um, The formula almost worked. They almost won in 18. Um, A Chris Paul hamstring away from maybe getting to the finals, so... Clint Capella was a solid pick here. They eventually just decided they wanted to go micro ball, and they finally traded him this offseason to, or this trade deadline to the 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 Hawks. Um, so we'll see how his uh, his career goes from here, playing with John Collins and Trey Young. It's going to be an interesting mix, but we'll see. And my guy, Big Honey, the forty first overall pick in this draft. My guy, Nikola Jokic, the Joker. Um, Best passing center in the league, no question. Best passing center ever. It's definitely up there. Um, Guys like Will Chamberlain, Arvidas Sabonis, Vladi Divac, Chris Webber, he's definitely up there with those guys. Um, Averages 20 a night, um, close to 7, 8 assists. Gets you those 10 boards. Um, He can do everything offensively. Except dunk, really, he has. Uh, he's just not athletic at all. But everything else is is great offensively. And I've gone into detail about Jokic, um, the the star on my favorite team, no question. So I mean, other than that, this class has honestly been pretty weak. Um, there's only been two All Stars to come from this draft, Jokic and and B. There's a lot of guys who have potential to be good role players, and honestly, that's the most you can hope for from a draft. That's what ends up happening to most of these guys. Not a lot of these guys turn into stars. They turn into mostly role players. And um, If NBA executives and people going into drafts had more of the expectation of trying to get a good role player out of this, then people probably wouldn't be as disappointed as they normally are out of the draft. But, I mean, what's the fun in that to not speculate on a guy possibly becoming a superstar? So you have guys like Kawhi Leonard and um, Giannis who go 15th. Uh, Paul George goes ninth. There's guys like that who just end up going later in the draft and ended up uh, turning into superstars. So it doesn't matter, or it doesn't it doesn't matter where you pick really, unless there's drafts where it's obvious that the number one guy is going to be great, like Zion, Anthony Davis, LeBron. Um, other than that, it's pretty much a crapshoot. You pick a guy and you you hope you can you hope you can believe in, you hope you can develop, and then just let the chips fall where they may. If we were going to um, redraft this, I would go and beat number one to the Cavs. Um, Jokic would go number two to Milwaukee. Zach Levine would go three to the Sixers. You'd have TJ Warren go to the Magic, who originally selected Aaron Gordon. I got Marcus Smart going fifth to the Jazz, who originally picked Dante Exum. Number six, I'm going Julius Randle, who I, uh, originally picked Marcus Smart for the Celtics. Got Andrew Wiggins going seventh to the Lakers, who originally picked Julius Randle, and Aaron Gordon going eighth to the Kings, who originally picked Nick Stauskas. So, once again, the overarching theme of all these NBA drafts is keep your expectations low. Try your best to find a guy who can hopefully stick around and be a good role player for your franchise, um, 
And if you just happen to strike gold with a guy who turns into a superstar like the 41st overall pick, then, I mean, it's just found money. Um, there's no really rhyme or reason for this stuff. You just try to pick a guy you believe in, develop him, and then see what happens. But that was the 2014 draft. All right, once again, appreciate you guys listening to me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close out this show with uh, something I might want to do uh, for the next couple of shows. Just shout out a forgotten player in the NBA or in NBA history overall. Um, I shouted out uh, Andrea Miller a couple of shows ago. Um, I want to go ahead and, and, and shout out another player in, in NBA history who probably doesn't get as much do as he should or is just someone who's forgotten. And that player for this week is going to be Danny Granger uh, from the Indiana Pacers. Um, he was a late 2000s, early 2010s guy um, when Indiana was going through that period of just getting away from the Jermaine O'Neal, Ron Artest, Steven Jackson Pacers and trying to move forward into the early 2010s. He was the guy they leaned on. Um, in his first four seasons, his scoring average career, his scoring um, per season increased every year. It went from 7 to 14 to 19 and then 26 a night, actually. So he averaged 26 points per game um, and became an all-star all-star in 2011. Um, and he was the face of that of that franchise before Paul George ended up uh, blossoming. But um, he had great size at six foot nine. Uh, was a great shooter. Shot thirty eight percent from three. Had a couple of seasons where he shot forty percent from three. Um, and he's a guy that if he stayed healthy or just came a little bit later, he would definitely thrive in today's game. A six nine forward who could put the ball on the floor, pay a little bit of defense, and shoot from the outside. Um, I think he'd be a better Tobias Harris for sure. So. Danny Granger could have been one of those guys who would thrive in today's NBA. Unfortunately, injuries kept him from playing longer. They kept him from playing with Paul George while PG was turning into an all-star. Um, and unfortunately, ended his career early. He only played until age 31. Um, so he had a solid come up for sure. Um, and if he could have stayed healthy... Um, uh, there's no telling what could have happened those two Miami seasons where Miami won the titles in 12-13, uh, what those series would have been like if you had a healthy Danny Granger playing alongside Paul George. Um, it definitely would have think, would have made things a lot more interesting. So uh, I want to shout out to you, Danny Granger. You had a solid career. Wish you could have stayed healthy longer, but, I mean, it is what it is. You did have your impact. You made an all-star game. Shout out to you, man. Once again, I want to thank you guys for listening to the Good Look Podcast. I was your host, Leonard Pinkney, a.k.a. Agent P, a.k.a. L. Pinkney. Please check out um, everything that's on Anchor, um, all the podcasts that come out on Anchor. Um, it's a really good platform to go ahead and get this stuff out there. I appreciate them. Um, check the link in my bio on my Instagram. I'll also tweet it out so you can go ahead and listen to the show. Like, rate, subscribe. Um, let me know what you think. I'll start putting out um, different ideas to people. If you guys have things you want me to talk about, just let me know. Um, and then we'll go ahead and keep this thing rocking. So once again, I want to thank you guys for listening. Hope you have a good one.